Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, if you're uh, any type of a longtime follower of Fighting for the Faith here on YouTube or on the podcast, then you'll know that we've gone a couple of rounds of public debate uh, with uh, Michael Brown. And as I'm launching into this installment of Fighting for the Faith, I want to say something up front, and that is is that I've read many of Michael Brown's books, and some of the things that we're going to be covering today, Michael Brown is on record as having spoken against it and criticized it, which makes this installment of Fighting for the Faith all that much more bizarre. I will say this, uh, I attempted through an intermediary to reach out privately to Michael Brown prior to this episode of Fighting for the Faith, and uh, he wasn't interested in having a conversation with me. So all of that being said, I, I want to make it clear we've got a problem, and it's not a small one, it's a big one. And the problem is not that I'm a hypercritic. That's an ad hominem attack that Michael Brown has been engaging in for a long time to discredit the things that I and others are saying in offering biblical criticism to the false teaching, false prophecies, false apostles, false prophets, uh, false prophets, false you know doctrines being promoted by many in the charismatic movement. And we're not talking like uh, lunatic fringe, we're talking about those who are lionized as the major leaders within the movement. That being said, in order to set this episode up correctly, I'm going to whirl up my desktop and we're going to talk about what the presenting issue is. The presenting issue has to do with a book that was recently put out by Kevin Zadai. Kevin Zadai, a man who um, falsely claims to have a doctorate. He's not a doctor at all. In fact, if you think he's some kind of reliable doctrinal practitioner that you should be uh, listening to, no. Scripture's very clear you to mark and avoid this person. But you're going to note, name of the book, already it's a problem, Mystery of the Power Words. Speak the words that move mountains and make hell tremble. That's odd, but here's the thing. The forward is by Michael Brown. Michael Brown has given his endorsement to this book, and I've read it, and I've spent a lot of time over the past few weeks listening to uh, Kevin Zadai's teaching and walking through many of the videos that he has available on Sid Roth's It's Supernatural uh, network, and the best way I can describe this man's theology is that at best, it's heretical. That's the best I can say about it. And let's just say that in this book, he adds to scripture. And I mean a lot to scripture. And so we're going to note that Michael Brown has fully endorsed this book and has written the foreword to it. In fact, you can see here, foreword by Michael Brown, and I've highlighted in a, a little keynote slide that I put, you know, slides that I put together, some of the things said by Michael Brown about this book. So listen to what he says. If you're looking for a lightweight name it and claim it book, a book that will teach how you can have what you say, 
then this is not the book for you. If you're looking for a book that will teach you how to align your thoughts and your words and your actions with the word of God, a book that will help you live a crucified, holy, repentant, yielded, broken, and empowered life in Jesus, a book that will inspire you to take you deeper and higher in the Lord, then this is the book for you. And as you read the scripture-filled pages that follow and put the teachings into practice, your life will be dramatically changed. That is a full-throated endorsement of this book. And yet, from the very first page of it, there is heresy after heresy after heresy after heresy. And we've noted that Michael Brown has um, provided cover for some of the most egregious uh, you know, false teachers and prophets within the charismatic movement. Uh, when I called into his program years ago to, you know, because he had Jennifer LeClaire on, she had just recently published an article warning the church that there was a sneaky squid spirit that was stalking people and, and was going to uh, attack their minds and stuff. When I brought this to his attention, he had, wasn't familiar with the sneaky squid teaching of Jennifer LeClaire, but he had her on the following week and legitimately ran cover for her. And in his follow-up segment with Jennifer LeClaire, he basically concluded, well, since her sneaky squid teaching doesn't contradict the scripture, uh, he, he wasn't going to condemn it. That was pretty much the, um, the um, conclusion of the sneaky squid matter. You know, uh, so, you know, th this led to us, you know, having a calamari episode of fighting for the faith, things like this to kind of you know, really highlight that Michael Brown, he had an opportunity to say, yeah, that sneaky squid thing, that's totally extra biblical. That's not okay. But before we get too far into this, I want to lay a little bit of biblical track because I think you need to see the biblical texts that are going to relate to what, where we're going here before we get there. Well, that doesn't mean we're not going to add some more later, but I want to uh, at least give you a foundation. So 1 John chapter 4, this is a verse that I go to with regularity. And you're going to note here that in 1 John chapter 4, there one of the tests given for a false prophet has to do with the denial of Christ coming in the flesh, which is Gnosticism. 1 John itself was written specifically against Gnosticism. But the Gnostic text uh, test is not the only test in Scripture, far from it. So Scripture is very clear, and this is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit wills, it is His will, that you do not believe every spirit, but you test them. And that's anybody claiming to be a prophet, claiming to have direct revelation from Jesus, and things like this. And God wills that we test to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So when come, somebody comes to us and says, the Lord has told me that you are to give me a $1,000 seed offering to protect your finances during these difficult times. Yeah, that's a false prophet, by the way. Um, yeah, you're to test to see whether or not really God is the origin of that word or if it's that person's greed. Also, when somebody comes and claims, an angel appeared to me and says that, uh, that his name is Swift and he's the angel of finance and that uh, during this time he's going to be imparting financial blessings to everybody who sows a seed offering into my ministry. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that th- we need to test whether or not that that angel Swift is really sent from God, or if it's uh, a, a, de- a demon masquerading as an angel of light. You get the idea. So that being the case, we are required by Scripture to test when somebody comes to us with revelation claiming to be from God that's not found in the Scripture. That's not the opinion of a hypercritic. That's the command of God, the Holy Spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out in the world. Next part of this, I would note that as Christians, we're bound by the biblical texts when it comes to doctrine. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 says, I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what's written. None of you may be puffed, so that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Yeah, we're, we're bound by the uh, the scriptures, but this is the strongest text. Second John chapter eight, uh, not chapter eight, verse eight through eleven. There's only one chapter in in Second uh, John. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Listen to the words again. Everyone who goes on ahead and doesn't abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. When you add doctrines to uh, Christianity that are beyond the teachings of Christ, and the only place we can find the teachings of Christ is in the uh, New Testament, Mm -hmm. also in the Old, because Christ is the same God, Uh, of the Old Testament as the new. And that being the case, then, when you go beyond, when you add to the the doctrines of Scripture and you do not abide in the teachings of Christ, you're not an erring brother. Scripture says that you do not have God. That's heresy. Or uh, or if I could quote, uh, you know, uh, Lutheran satire, that's heresy, Patrick. Yeah, right. Whoever abides, though, in the teaching has both God, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, dirake, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So note, we are bound by scripture that anybody who comes bringing doctrines to us that go beyond, beyond scripture, way beyond, that they are heretics, that we are not even to bring them into our church. Because you'll note that Second John was written to the elect lady who had a church meeting in her house. So you're not to give him a greeting because you, by doing so, you would participate in his wicked works. And I would note that Michael Brown has participated and endorsed the extra-biblical teachings and so-called Jesus revelations of Kevin Zadai, and by doing so, he has participated in his heresies, fully endorsed them. Yet, again, I got to note that having been a careful student of Michael Brown's for uh, most of this decade, I can say that I can I could quote passages from his books where he's written against the very things that Zadai is promoting. So we got a big, big, big problem. What's going on here? Well, I, I don't know. I'm just going to point out that what is publicly available 
doesn't jive with some of the things that Michael Brown has publicly stated. So there's a problem because Michael Brown is endorsing heresy and doing so full-throatedly. And by doing so, he is endorsing a man who has not abided in the teachings of Christ, but has gone beyond what is written. And according to scripture, this Zadai doesn't even have God. Okay, he's not to be, again, looked at as an erring brother, but as a full-on heretic, that one to be marked and avoided. And Michael Brown, I know his scholarship. In fact, in one of my papers when I was in seminary, I quoted from some of the works of Michael Brown in his apologetic works that he's put out uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, to sharing the gospel with people who are in Judaism. And uh, in that particular paper, I happened to get 100% when I was in seminary. So I know the scholarship that he's capable of. What I do not understand is why on earth he would endorse this book. And when we get into the details, you'll see what I'm saying. You're saying, well, how bad is it? It's as bad as it gets. The best thing I can say, the most kind thing I can say in my evaluation of the book is that it's heresy. That's the baseline of its goodness. So all of that being said, let's, uh, let's, let's see here. Where do I want to go next? Hmm. All right. I've decided where I want to go next. <laughs> There's so many different directions I could go, but I think it's best if we use the most egregious example first. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back to Zadai's book. And uh, we're going to note something that Michael Brown said in, in relation to what I would consider the most obvious of the heretical chapters in this book. Brown clearly has read it, and watch what he does. As for the contro- controversial subject of Jesus' descent into hell, which Kevin discusses in the chapter on resurrection power, it's interesting to compare what he writes to the treatment of this subject in the early church fathers, as well as in various church traditions, including Eastern Orthodoxy. And as always, everything must be examined through the lens of Scripture. What did happen between the cross and the resurrection? So here, Michael Brown, in his foreword to the book, which is an endorsement, it's not a tacit endorsement, this is not guilt by association. This is guilt by endorsement and participation. Very different levels of, you know, of, of guilt here, but this is absolutely guilt by participation. So with that, we're going to take a look at the actual book itself on that chapter, and then I'm going to play a video where Kevin Zadai discusses the content of that chapter and that so-called part of his revelation that he had with Jesus. It's here in chapter 12. We don't have to read too far, but here's what Zadai says. Resurrection is another word that is not being mentioned enough. Apparently in this book, God, you know, Jesus revealed to Kevin Zadai specific power words that we need to repeat and focus on for the purpose of manifesting the miraculous in our life. And resurrection is one of those words that Jesus told him we need to be, uh, you know, to be rehearsing and saying over and over again so that we can manifest spiritual things and stuff. So that word is not being mentioned enough. Every person who is born again of the Spirit should be acknowledging the resurrection because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, and I'm going to note, Kevin Zadai can't write. His, His... 
his prose are really bad and uh, it's it I'm ugh, it's annoying. Anyway, uh, so the resurrection because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is dwelling in them. Jesus told me, note here, Jesus told me. This is based on his 45 minutes while he was dead. Jesus told me that the Holy Spirit was waiting to resurrect him and that Jesus started to choke up when he told me this. He said, Kevin, I had to relinquish my communication with the Father and the Holy Spirit uh, did not go down with me. Uh, the The Holy Spirit did not go with me to the belly of the earth. He said, I had to go to the deepest part of hell where the vilest person would go and I had to go down there to redeem that place. Jesus said it did not end at the cross. And already, I'm one paragraph and one sentence in, and there's heresy here, not error, heresy. He's gone beyond what is written, and in doing so, the things that he's gone beyond with contradict the scripture. I'll explain in a little a, a little bit more here. So he said, I spent hours down there in the belly of the earth. I had no communication or presence at all with the Father. Then Jesus said, I stayed down there until the Father gave the command for me to come out of the belly of the earth. The Holy Spirit was waiting for the Father to give the word, and then I came forth in resurrection power. Jesus started to cry when he said, Kevin, while I was down there, I had no feeling at all of the Father. I was completely abandoned to hell. While Jesus was down in hell, he told me that he rehearsed Psalm 16 over and over again for those few days that he was there. He said the Holy Spirit of God had David write the psalm, that psalm for me, and I rehearsed it in hell. Now, let's go to the It's Supernatural Network and a video put out by Kevin Zadai as part of his series called The Secret Place, where he talks about this revelation. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the introduction to this this doctrine, this teaching, and note that the, uh, the egregiousness of the error going on here. Hi, I'm Kevin Zeta, and welcome to The Secret Place, where all your prayers are going to be answered. All your prayers are going to be answered. Yeah, well, God does answer prayers with either yes, no, maybe later. God answers all prayers. He doesn't always answer all of them affirmatively. And we're going to continue like we did with the last session on my visitation that happened in 1992. I'm really excited to get into this. And just remember, you will receive an impartation as I share this with you. So if you're watching this, you're going to receive an impartation. And based on the fact that this is heresy, the, whatever is being imparted is not from God the Holy Spirit. Because Je- Jesus really literally told me that when I share this, you're going to have a visitation. He told me that when I share this with you, there'll be an impartation from heaven. So. Yeah, no, it's going to be from the pit of hell. Just receive right now, and we're going to get right back into what Jesus was saying. If you remember, he left me in the operating room, and he was talking about the healing of the soul. and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so note, he, you're going to get a special embarkation. And, and all of this book that Kevin Zadai puts out, it heavily relies upon this 45 minutes that he was dead, and, uh, and Jesus taught him. Okay, 
that he was outside of his body. All of this is directly de dependent upon that particular experience. And the things that he's coming back with are extra biblical. So let's take a look now specifically as it relates to the content that we see in chapter 12 of Zadai's book. I want to get into the rest of it. He also, he also started to talk to me about a subject that's uh, somewhat controversial, but to me, I saw it clearly in the scripture. He said, Kevin, he said, um, when I was on the earth, I would look for myself in the word of God. He said, extra biblical information. The father had strategically planted different places in the Bible that talked about me. And so he said, before I even came to the earth, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's the word made flesh. We had strategically caused the Holy Spirit to have men write in the scripture. So he said, for example, he said, the spirit came on King David and he wrote Psalms 16. And he said, when I was on the earth, I memorized that Psalm. He said, because this is what happened. He said, I actually went to hell. I was in the belly of the earth. And he said, in the belly of the earth, I rehearsed Psalm 16. Isn't that amazing? So he said, his whole... Uh, Extra biblical. He's gone beyond what is written. He is not abiding in the teaching of Christ. He's gone on ahead. He's under the condemnation of Second John. Teenage life, he spent reviewing and looking throughout the whole word of God in the Old Testament to find himself. And he said, I had all these key verses that were coaching me into what I was supposed to be doing and who I was. And so Psalm 16, he said, was used when he was in the belly of the earth. And so he started to talk to me, he said, most people think about the suffering that I did before I... Now, here's the part where he is in rank heresy. This isn't a small error. This is the kind of error that puts you outside of the Christian faith. Listen again to this, this setup. <laughs> was used when he was in the belly of the earth. And so he started to talk to me, he said, most people think about the suffering that I did before I died on the cross, the beatings, um, the imprisonments. But he said, it went far beyond that. It went far beyond the cross. The sufferings of Christ went far beyond the cross. It went far beyond that, Kevin. He said, I spent those days in the belly of the earth alone without God. Okay. We're going to just point out some obvious texts that contradict him. And you're going to note here, he's teaching that Christ suffered in hell. That's heresy. And it's directly contradicted by scripture. Now, remember the biblical texts tell us that we are to test every spirit to see whether they are from God. Was this Jesus who met with Kevin Zadai back in 1992? No, not at all. It can't be, because the Jesus that met with Kevin Zadai in 1992 contradicts the biblical Jesus. So with that, let's, uh, let's take a look here. That's his descent into hell, but let's uh, take a look here. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus is on the cross. This is the Gospel of John. This is John's account of the crucifixion of Christ, his suffering, bleeding, dying for your sins and mine. 
And Jesus, when he had received the sour wine, he said to Telestai, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Christ's atoning work so that you and I can be forgiven and reconciled was concluded on a Friday afternoon at three in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice, the time when the Passover lambs are slain. And he said, it's finished. He didn't say, almost there. So we got a problem. Note that Kevin Zadai said, Jesus specifically said to him, it was so much more than his suffering on the cross. And so let's back this up just a smidge and hear it again, because this is heresy. Keen, he said, was used when he was in the belly of the earth. And so he started to talk to me, he said, most people think about the suffering that I did before I died on the cross, the beatings, um, the imprisonments. But he said, it went far beyond that. It went far beyond the cross. His sufferings went far beyond the cross. Heresy. It went far beyond that, Kevin. He said, I spent those days in the belly of the earth alone. Okay. Did Jesus spend his days in the belly of the earth alone? No. Uh, let me read another text here. So this is Luke's account of the crucifixion of Christ, which this was for us to be able to be forgiven of our sins. Christ is bearing our sins, dying in our place. He's be, he has been pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And here's, here's what Luke says. So two others who were criminals, they were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, Simeron, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Was Jesus alone? No, not at all. And here's where we're going to note, and I'm going to back this up just a little bit. There are two things that in this book and in, in this video, which teaches the same thing, that Kevin Zadai, his extra biblical revelation contradicts the word of God. 
One, that Jesus continued to suffer after it was finished on the cross. And two, that uh, Jesus was alone when he, in his descent to Sheol or Hades or to the dead. We'll talk about that more in a minute here, but listen again. Um, the imprisonments, but he said it went far beyond that. It went far beyond the cross. It went far beyond that, Kevin. He said, I spent those days in the belly of the earth alone. Yet Jesus said to the thief on the cross today, you will be with me in paradise. Without God. And it shocked me at first because I never thought that. He said, I relinquished my communication with the Father for those days. He said, the only thing that I had was those Psalms that I had memorized. And he said, I rehearsed those and I kept telling myself that there was coming that point if I set the Lord always before me. And because he was at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And it talked about how he would be brought out, that he would not allow his body to see decay. His soul would not be left in hell. And um, he told me, he said, I rehearsed those things. He said, those demons were telling me that I had failed, that I had been left alone and my mission was a failure. He told me, uh, Satan told me, he said, you should have taken the deal I gave you in the desert where I offered you all. Let me come back to this. Okay. Do not go beyond what is written. We are bound to Scripture. This is something way beyond. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for and may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked deeds." This is way beyond Scripture. This is full-throated additions to Scripture, full-throated additions to the teachings of Christ that are not found in the Bible. This is the denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. All the kingdoms of the world, he said, you, you could have had them if you bowed down to me, but look at you now, you've lost everything. He said, I just kept rehearsing the Word of God. And so he explained this to me, and as he was telling me this, he started to sob, and it touched me. He said, I cleared out a space in your own soul, Kevin, when I did this, because when you pray, you pray from the depths. So he said, I have made a place in prayer for you because I prayed this space out when I was in hell. He said, when I prayed... He this is a full-on addition to Scripture. Full-on. Why is Michael Brown endorsing this? Why has he endorsed this? He had a perfect opportunity, having read the manuscript to offer a rebuke and call Zadai to repent, and, and if he didn't, to warn the body of Christ about the heresies in this book and this man's teaching. But Michael Brown wrote the foreword and gives, gives a full-throated endorsement of this book and these teachings, and they are not found in the Bible at all. 
Okay, let's talk about Christ's descent into into Hades or Sheol. And I know that this is one that you know that many people are not familiar with because there's just not a lot written about it. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to grab um, I'm going to grab a New Testament here uh, so that I can do this, and I'm going to do a quick word search for Lazarus. Okay, Luke 16. This is going to be our our basis for kind of understanding things. The intermediate state for believers of the Old Testament is different than the intermediate state for believers in the New Testament. We learn from the Old Testament over and over again when somebody dies in the Old Testament, a saint or a patriarch dies, they they go to a place called Sheol. All right, the place of the dead, you know, and that and that there there is where they were awaiting something. Apparently, they were awaiting Christ, and I'll explain why we think that. But you know, when you read the writings of the church fathers and others, and you know, especially those who are commenting on the Apostles' Creed, which talks about Christ's descent to the dead or descent to Sheol or to Hades or to hell. Uh, there, there's. You have to understand. In order to tease this out, we know about this much, and we can't go beyond it. All right. We have just enough to know that that's what took place, but the things that Kevin Zadai said actually contradict what we fully, what we do know in that little bit of revelation. But all that being said, let's talk about the intermediate state prior to Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So it's, here's what it says. Uh, there was a rich man. Christ is telling a story, and this is not a parable. This is something a little bit different. There was a rich man who had a manager. Oh, uh, hang on a second. I, I'm on the wrong manager here. Uh, let's see here. There we go. Rich man, Lazarus. Sorry, I saw a rich man, and I thought it was it's a little. It's in the same chapter, just a little later. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Again, not a parable. Uh, clothed in purple, fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. By the way, what was his name? Yeah, he doesn't have a name. And I think that's significant because um, people who die nameless, their names are not written in the Lamb book, Lamb's Book of Life. That the, the fact that one is named and the other isn't is actually kind of a huge theological point. So there was a rich man who was clothed in purple fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Guys, poor, in need of medical attention, uh, and he he's asking for alms in front of the rich man's house. So the poor man died. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom or side. So have you ever heard of Abraham's bosom or side? That's another term for Sheol, and this is prior to Christ's death his burial, his resurrection and ascension, okay? The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. So the idea then is, is that from what we can make out, that Sheol had two compartments. One referred to as Hades, a lot like hell. There's fire. People are in torment there. And the other side, Abraham's bosom or paradise, is where the, the believing Old Testament saints went 
after their death. Okay, now Christ has ascended and he's led a host of captives in his train and those who die in Christ, they are with the Lord. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, scripture says. So the intermediate state for New Testament saints is different. We don't go to Abraham's bosom. We don't go to Sheol. We, uh, we go to heaven while we await the resurrection. That's the difference here. But So this is an Old Testament reality. So Sheol has two compartments, Abraham's bosom or paradise, and, and the Hades bit of it, all right? So, uh, so Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross from there to us. Yeah, death doesn't... Death, when you die, it's too late. You, you, your, your sides are already chosen. You're either in hell or you're with Christ. You, you get the idea. So he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him my, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's how people are saved, through the word of God, by the way. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And somebody did, by the way. His name is Jesus. So there's kind of a picture. We learn from this account that Christ gives us. This is not a parable. The account that Christ gives us here, we get a glimpse at some of the realities as it relates to Sheol. Two compartments, one for the saints, those who die in the faith, and the other for those who die in, in sin and unbelief. Okay, And now, then, we consider two other texts in this regard. Uh, one is in Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, therefore it says, when he ascended, talking about Christ's ascension on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now the church has understood this very vague reference to refer to the fact that when Christ raised from the grave and then he ascended into heaven, that he, he led the saints of the Old Testament who were at, residing in Abraham's bosom in Sheol, in the paradise portion of Sheol, that he took them to heaven with him. The intermediate state for Christians is in heaven with Christ. And saying he ascended, what does it also mean? That he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. This is talking about Sheol. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. I know it's not much, but that's one of the clearer text as it relates here. Any mention here of his suffering? No, no suffering in hell, no suffering in Sheol. Christ said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's referring to Abraham's bosom in Sheol. And then 1 Peter, Peter writes about Christ's descent as well. 1 Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, uh, starting at verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed. And here we have an interesting uh, word in, uh, in Greek, caruso. It means preached. 
He preached to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So if you, if you kind of put it all together, we, again, Sheol has two compartments, Abraham's bosom or paradise, and Hades, uh, you know, a hell-like place for the, for the unbelievers. And it says Christ preached to the spirits in prison. So the picture then is of Christ proclaiming his victory to to the spirits in Hades, the Hades portion of Sheol, basically saying, I won, you lost. I've been vindicated, you haven't. That's kind of the implication. Uh, It's not that he preaches the gospel to them so that there's a revival in heaven. That's not it either. But so those are your, those are your texts here. And Christ's atoning sacrificial work ends with his death on the cross. It did not continue in hell. What, um, what Kevin Zadai is teaching goes beyond scripture, way beyond, and denies what Christ said specifically to the uh, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So let me back this up again just a little bit so that you can rehear this, and now you have like a, at least a better understanding of what does the Bible teach about this much as far as Christ's descent into Sheol. But uh, let's listen to so I offer you to you all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you, you could have had them if you bowed down to me, but look at you now. You've lost everything. He said, I just kept rehearsing the word of God. And so he explained this to me. And as he was telling me this, he started to sob and it touched me. He said, I cleared out a space in your own soul, Kevin, when I did this, because when you pray, you pray from the depths. Now you're going to note then. And that is, is that you said, did Michael Brown endorse all of that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is, again, chapter 12 of Zadai's book. While Jesus was down in hell, he told me that he rehearsed Psalm 16 over and over again for those few days that he was there. The Spirit of God had David write that psalm for me, and I rehearsed it in hell. Uh, Jesus said that when the Father gave the command, he rose from the dead, an enormous surge of power came down there to that holding area in hell, and he said that Lucifer was down there, and demons were standing around Jesus, and that Lucifer said to him, you should have taken the deal that I gave you in the desert, you could have had everything. And yeah, Michael Brown has endorsed that chapter specifically. This... This makes no sense. Um, it's jaw-dropping that Michael Brown would endorse actual heresy. Here's, again, what he wrote in the foreword to the book. As for the controversial subject of Jesus' ascent into hell, which Kevin discusses in this chapter on resurrection power, it's interesting to compare what he writes to the treatment of the subject in the early church fathers. To compare what he writes which says that Michael Brown read this and he approved of it and he's endorsing it. This isn't guilt by association. This is guilt by participation in the heresies and the extra biblical doctrines of Kevin Zadai. Now, to kind of make the point a little bit more, I've gathered up a few quotes. I, I probably won't do all of these, but everywhere where Kevin Zadai says, Jesus told me, 
I've put them in red letters because we're all familiar with the red letters of, te- of Jesus in our Bibles, right? And I think this will kind of make the point. Again, this is all Michael Brown endorsed. Okay, Kevin Zadai writes on page 11 of Mystery of the Power Words, Jesus started to teach me. He told me how everything started. Everything you see in the universe is everything that is expanding at the same speed that God spoke it. Jesus said, we decided what we were going to do as a trinity and we spoke. We spoke what we believed in our hearts and we framed the worlds. So God believed in his heart about the creation of the universe and by speaking it spoken into existence. You're going to note this is the same heresies as, as Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, all the word of faith teachers that God uh, creates via faith. We believed in our hearts and then we spoke. Uh-huh. N- next quote. Yet Jesus himself told me, quote, I died and redeemed man back to Adam. That means that they are supposed to walk in authority and speak in authority. They're supposed to have dominion. Extra words from Jesus, right? Jesus then continued with his resurrection power and took us to the heavenly realms. Now we are greater because of the authority that has been given back to us. If you want to walk in the greater manifestation, you have to do it from down here on the earth. God believes in his heart. And so must you. Where in scripture does it say God believes in his heart and then speaks and that's the reason why things happen? When I was with Jesus, Kevin Zadai says, uh, I w- uh, he was very selective about what he said to me because Jesus manifests everything that he says. Imagine if you got everything that you said, how would you talk? You would stop and think about your words because you would understand just how very powerful they are. Uh huh. Jesus taught me about the power of words. He, he showed me that when you hook up with the Holy Spirit, you have authority on the earth and the demons know it. Jesus said, quote, you need to choose your words, choose your battles and choose what you do and what you say and be wise. And then Jesus makes it clear that he's always super careful about what he says. He says, I'm, al- I'm always careful now to listen to my spirit down inside of me and never say anything without thinking about it first. That's kind of what Jesus is supposedly getting at there. <sighs> Let me see here. I, All right. This one's interesting because he also teaches the canonic heresy. Jesus was hungry for God the Father, even though he was the Son of God. While he was in the flesh... Um, Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Jesus still has a human body. While he was in the flesh, Jesus walked as a man would on earth. Jesus would seek God by praying at night in the mountains because he needed to know God's will. Even though Jesus was the son of God, he came as man and sought God. No, this is flat out heresy. Okay, uh, that's the canonic heresy. So we got, we got, this is heresy on multiple grounds, not on just one little nuanced, potentially uh, misunderstood text. Romans 1 is very clear. Uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the uh, through his prophets and holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. Uh, Colossians also makes it clear that in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Hang on a second here, I need to learn how to type. Colossians 1. Do, do. All right, let's see here. Hmm. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Yep. Uh huh. 
Colossians chapter 2. There we go. See to it that no one takes you captive, verse 8, uh, uh, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the hu- a human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to, the, uh, to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Note here, in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and that's still today, because Christ was bodily raised from the grave. Uh-huh. Kevin Zadai's Christology contradicts the clear teachings of Scripture. See, while he was in the flesh, Jesus still has a body. Jesus walked as a man. No, Jesus always was the God-man after the incarnation. And Jesus would seek God by praying at night in the mountains. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, he came as a man. No, he came as the God-man. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily still to this day. This is straight out Christological heresy in this book. And I know for a fact Michael Brown knows that this is Christological heresy. I could quote from Michael Brown's books where he would where he's written against such concepts. Okay. Next quote, Jesus was hungry for God. Um, I already got that one. Hang on a second here. Jesus spoke to me about the healing of the soul and just how about everyone has these issues within their souls. It's not a problem with your spirit because your spirit is born again. Now he teaches the, uh, the false anthropology of men like Andrew Womack and others in the Word of Faith heresy. There are different ways for me to heal a person's soul. He told me they needed to be healed in mind and will and emotions, which is my soul. Uh, All of this, extra biblical, extra biblical. I can go on and on and on, but uh, I think you get the point. We got a big problem, and the problem is is that Michael Brown has given full-throated endorsement to heresy. Not error, heresy. Extra biblical revelation that goes beyond what is written, goes ahead and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ, and, it, and we're not supposed to participate in this type of blasphemy, which is really what all of this is. So I would note, Dr. Ma- Dr. Michael Brown has a moral obligation. He has a moral obligation to, one, publicly rescind his endorsement of Kevin Zadai and, his, and this book. Mm-hmm. He has also a moral obligation to Kevin Zadai to call Kevin Zadai to repentance for his heresies. And I would note, by extension, Destiny Image Publishing as well, that they that the fact that they don't know enough of the Word of God to see heresy when it's on a manuscript that they want to publish, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and Kevin Zadai needs to sit down. He he should not be teaching anywhere. And uh, if Kevin Zadai doesn't repent and you know disappear from ministry, then Michael Brown has a moral obligation to the greater body of Christ because he's he's endorsed his heresies to warn the body of Christ about Kevin Zadai and his heresies. And this these are not the ravings of a hyper critic. This is legitimately what his moral obligation is. We're not talking about error. We're talking about full-on Christological and biblical heresies. Ex, you know, and Zadai claiming Jesus told him things that are contradicted by the clear word of God. So uh, hopefully you'll find you found this helpful. And uh, if so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below. And share it with Michael Brown and ask him if he agrees that Jesus suffered all alone by himself. In, uh, in hell. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and that he rehearsed Psalm 16 to himself. I think you get the idea. Uh, so until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>